Hey everybody, it's Sam with Paranormal Overtime. Talked to you guys a little bit yesterday about who I was, what I was looking forward to, and was going to get into. Well, today's your first episode of, I think I'm just going to call it like a mini-series um, on the Warrens. This podcast episode is strictly going to be pretty much fact-based. Stuff that you could find in your local library. Stuff you would be able to find if you visited their occult museum. Stuff that a lot of investigators can just rattle off. You may know all of this stuff. You may know some of it. You may know none of it. If you would have caught me probably three years ago, maybe four, um, I don't know that I could have told you a lot about the Warrens. Now, I could have told you all kinds of stuff about the Ghost Avengers, but... The Warrens had semi-hit my radar, but a lot of the podcast episodes, a lot of the people I had talked to, a lot of even magazine articles or website articles were in the process of kind of downing them. And if they weren't downing them, they were doubting them. Their work was being questioned. Lorraine was older. Couldn't really defend herself. Tony Sparrow was was having to do that. And of course, their worldwide network of fans. But a lot of people were saying, they weren't whispering. They were flat out saying that they were scammers, that they set stuff up in order to get into the movie business to make all kinds of money. And that may be one of the issues we explore when we go over some of the cases. But I really kind of, today with this episode, just kind of introduce you to them. And like I said, you may know everything I'm about ready to tell you, but it is just to set the tone about the warrants before we start getting into cases. I'm also not going to delve into their daughter Judy, her husband Tony Spira, or their nephew, Zach, or excuse me, John Zaphis. Because I feel like that's a future episode in this series. So, Ed Warren um, died in 2006. He was 80 years old. And... 
he considered himself, and I think most of the world considered him a self-taught and self-professed demonologist. He was a very good author, and from everything I've heard, a very good lecturer. I haven't looked real extensively on Daily Motion or YouTube to see if any of his lectures, especially in the later years, were captured by anyone and that I could actually watch them. With him dying in 2006, not really holding out a lot of hope. And he also, from what I understand, was a member of the Roman Catholic Church. He had strong religious beliefs throughout his life that he felt like guided him along his path, not only with cases, but just in his life in general. Lorraine Warren was his wife. She recently died in 2019, and if you were into paranormal at all, whether it be as a skeptic, whether it be as a fan, or whether it be as an investigator, when she died, you saw an outstanding pouring out of emotion, of thoughts, of memories for her. Uh, She was 92 years old when she died. And she professed to be clairvoyant. And she also used the term, she was a light trance medium. Who basically only worked closely with her husband until after he died. Then... She did some continued work with others, but mostly with Tony and John. However, she was on TV some after Ed died. Most, I think, in the paranormal field think and consider them to be one of the pioneers of paranormal investigators that opened the field up, that introduced it to the public by giving lectures, by writing books, but also when they got into the movies and allowing some of their cases to be shown. They wrote books and became authors associated with prominent cases, and I'm going to use this word, and I know all of you are going to hate it, but prominent cases of alleged hauntings. Now, the reason why I'm using alleged, this is the very first episode where I'm introducing them. 
as we continue on with different episodes concerning them and their cases, I hope to kind of present you with their facts, ask questions on both sides, and I may tell you what my view, is it a haunting, is it an alleged haunting, but a lot of times I'm going to leave it up to you. I want you guys to tell me what I'm afraid is going to happen is I have a paranormal overtime page um, on Facebook where I put up different stories, pictures, and I'm going to be putting this podcast up. I have a Twitter account. It's paranormal overtime. My handle is paranormal O. My messages or private messages and DMs are open. You can contact me. And then right now, because I haven't gotten on it, and switched my email. Paranormal Review Pod. Singular. P-O-D. All one word. Paranormal Review Pod. At gmail.com is where you can reach me through email. I hope to hear from you guys after you've actually sat down and listened to what I present in the episode. A lot of times what I originally, when I would ask questions, were people giving me their thoughts, their questions, or why they thought this way without listening to the episode. They just wanted to get their two cents in and their quick gla- uh, just glance at fame. Guys, if you do that, I'm going to come back at you. If I can tell... You're parroting something you saw off TV, or you're just asking the question, answering the question, I should say, of what I've asked in the episode notes, or what I put up on Twitter, but you haven't listened to the episode, and it's obvious, I'm gonna call you out on it. I'm gonna ask, did you even listen to the episode? Because... I answered that. Or I'll say I asked that very question and found the answer. Did you not even listen to the episode? I'm going to call you out on it. Number one, that's just how I am. But it does upset me that I do some research. I watch documentaries or I watch TV shows. Or, you know, I talk to people or whatever, and I put time into it, and then some Yahoo happens to see my post, that includes the episode for you to listen to, and you don't, and then you say, what about da-da-da-da-da, and I've taken five minutes to cover that in the episode, well, I definitely know you haven't listened. So, try not to do that. Um, I thought it was fascinating 
that back in 1952. Now, my both of my parents were born in 1951. And I know how old uh, they are, so it kind of shocks me. Ed was born in 1926. Lorraine was born in 1927. So when I think, oh, they were in their 20s, that makes it a little easier. But when I look back from 2021, that in 1952, they created the New England Society for Psychic research then and it's lasted 70 years I think that's amazing uh, how they set it up who they included what their vision was um, and I, I may do an episode just on it but I kind of want to talk about it a little here, but I forgot to mention Ed and Lorraine met each other when they were young and they married at 1940, in 1945. So, seven years later, they have created this psychic research center. It usually goes by its initials. And so when I was first reading New England Society for Psychic Research, I was thinking, I don't even know what, if I know what that is. Um, in that article I was reading, a couple sentences down, they used N-E-S-P-R. And I was like, oh, I know that. I've heard of that. Um... I did an episode earlier and may do a brand new one on um, Grant Wilson and Jason Halls and their TAPS uh, organization that they created. And they credit any SPR for some of their views and things. Obviously, one of the reasons is they are both from the New England area. This is the oldest ghost hunting group in New England. Um, They authored a lot of books from the research that they collected for this society uh, about the paranormal and about different private investigations they did and they talked a lot about the various reports of paranormal activities that their clients experienced that they themselves experienced and how they worked through the process both of them claim to have investigated well over 10,000 cases during their career. I read that and I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Um, I don't know about this. I was a forensic investigator 
for child abuse and neglect cases, um, I mostly handled sex abuse, domestic violence, drugs, and some murder cases. And so, investigating those, doing the interviews, uh, a lot of times in the state that I'm in, they are getting trained now. But when I was working, especially when I was first working, um, the police didn't really want to interview children. They weren't comfortable with it. They had training in it, but not a lot. And frankly, they didn't know how to react to some of the kids. I was more than willing to step in, especially since I was certified. Um, and they could film it or we could record it or whatever. And then I would testify in cases about things. But then um, one police officer said, do you think you can interview about her? And I was like, yeah, I interview them all the time when you guys aren't involved. Or before I know that we should involve you guys. And he was like, well, just from hearing this dude talk, I think he's got a thing against police officers. I don't think I'm going to get anything out of him. However, I think if you interview him and you come across less authoritative than what you normally do, then I think we can get a little bit more out of him. And he said we did. I don't know that I necessarily believed it. A year later, I probably did, because I'm extremely cocky, but um, I don't know about that very first interview, that I was that good and was helping him that much. <coughs> but when I think back on my cases, I think I had full caseloads all the time. And I think my highest that I, you know, actually investigated and cleared in a year was probably 250 to 300. And I thought, you know, I thought I was a big deal because I had did a couple thousand or a thousand. And then I thought how long I did it. And I thought how long they did it. And I thought, you know what? If this was their full-time gig, and they truly only made money in the beginning off books and lectures, then you know what? They probably did do well over 10,000 cases. And so that was believable to me. The Warrens were among the first to investigate the Adam and Bill hauntings. I'm going to go ahead and tell you 
I don't know why. I read it really well, but uh, saying the word Amityville is a little hard for me. Especially when I get excited. Um, they were some of the first ones that were brought in. They already had a reputation. And they were known. And so the idea of calling them in their geographic area, you know, seemed natural to the people around. Now, according to the Warrens, the New England Society for Psychic Research is supposed to use a wide variety of individuals to gather knowledge or help them understand things within a case. These include um, medical doctors, any researchers, police officers, nurses. A lot of times they use college students because they have more free time. And they notice, especially Ed, that if you brought in college students, a lot of times they had a different way of looking at things or going down other paths. Or they just were open to different things. And then he always tried, if he believed that something was haunted or possessed or whatever was going on, to involve members of the clergy in their investigations. Now, there are certain cases where we're going to go into how many times he attempted to do that in certain cases, and the clergy would refuse. Um, some of them would say they're not qualified and kind of pass them on. Some would say it's been a long time. Some would just say no and not give them any answers. There were times in different cases that Ed Warren wrote the Vatican to try to get help. So you are going to hear some of that. Now, the stories of some of the ghost hauntings or demon hauntings were popular popularized by the Warrens through their lectures and through their books because they had to have some way to make money. Uh, Ed claimed on, I have to look it back up, but on many of his tax returns, that he was a demonologist, an author, a painter, and a researcher. And then, of course, filled out his tax documents. And so if that's all he was, and he was making money only from those four things, then they had to really show people through lectures or through their books, what they were doing and get it popular in order to make enough money. Well, 
since then, since they started writing, um, a lot of their books or their lecture stories have been adapted or have indirectly inspired dozens of films, television series, and documentaries. Obviously, documentaries tried to do their best to just give you the facts, tell you the truth. However, a lot of the film and TV series that were inspired by one of their cases or how they act or how they went through investigating took liberties. And even though you or someone else may have thought, oh, that's the warrant. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. Because in looking back through films and TV shows, you find the characters in them or or on the TV shows do exactly opposite of what Ed would talk about in his lectures or later would write in his research or uh, Lorraine would write in her books. So uh, a lot of things that are inspired by the Warrens doesn't necessarily mean they're following what the Warrens would have done to the T. Several films, because it was their property, and in several films, they actually are portrayed. They signed contracts and received money from actual films. There was the Amityville Horror Series, uh, and then I think everyone has heard of The Conjuring and The Conjuring universe, basically, that they have created. I think you guys can correct me because I haven't looked it up. So feel free to write me and correct me. But I believe there's seven films in the series and um, another one is scheduled to be made. Now, through the years, and yes, they did start before Ed died. There weren't people that came out of the woodwork after Ed died. But there have always been skeptics around them saying that couldn't have happened or you're making that up or you're even exaggerating it. Parts of it may have happened, but you're exaggerating it. Recently, since I died in 2006, and even before Lorraine died in 2019, skeptics were trying to tear them apart during that time. Um, Some of the famous ones were Perry the Angels, and Stephen Novella, they actually got copies and investigated different cases. And they 
looked at the Warren's evidence that they had in their museum, and they actually described their investigations, their cases, as nothing but, quote, blarney, unquote. There were some other famous uh, investigators, such as Joe Nickel and Benjamin Radford, that concluded that a lot of the better-known hauntings, like Amityville, like the Decker uh, family haunting, did not happen at all. No part of it was the truth, and that they had actually invented it. There are a lot of skeptics out there that believe uh, Amityville was truly made up. It was based on a deal that the Warrens made with the Lutzes. They even, at some point, supposedly cut the police in, especially the sheriff, and were after a movie deal which all profited from. And I think that's what gets people going. When I have talked about different investigators or different cases, they'll call them fake or they'll call them that they make up stuff. And I'll say why. You you know... I haven't been through this case, or I've barely skimmed the surface on this case. Can you tell me why you think it's made up, so that when I actually go through it, I'll kind of know what points you already think are made up? And a lot of it, they will have exact points. But it's usually within two minutes. Sometimes some of them can wait seven to ten minutes. But it usually comes back to them selling out. Them talking about these cases. Whether it be in books, lectures, or giving away some of their rights to movies. And how much money... They have made off of this. And it goes. You know. The same skeptics have hollered. At Alexander Holzer. For they say. She is. um, Using her father's work. To get money now. With a TV show. I agree with her. She said, No, if my father's research is correct, then I hope it can be used in some way to educate the public or stir up interest in people to get into the field, whether it be part-time or full-time. 
She said, however, if the findings are my father wasn't correct or he made a deduction based on the time, which we now know better, I want that out there also because I want people to understand that human beings make mistakes and that sometimes only time can correct those mistakes. And I thought that, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but I thought that was an interesting statement because that's so true. If he and others are truly right, then they need to popularize this. They need to put more scientific methods in it or research-based evidence in it so that they can popularize it and make it credible that it's not something that people lie about. Um, I also see where people, because Ghost Adventures is one of the most popular series right now, and they, I think they're on season 21, 22, um, that's seasons, not years, but a lot of people want to call them scam artists or fakers or whatever, um, because others don't get the same exact evidence or TV crews, um, like the news go in and don't get the same things and, and other stuff like that. And so they're considered scam artists and everything. And I think a lot of that has nothing to do with the way they present it or how they present it on TV, what cuts they make. Um, I know I hear a lot of people say, I wish they would release a lot of their unedited footage. I think the thing it comes back to is how much money they're making. And people think they're making this much money. They've got to be faking things. I don't know that that's necessarily true. Now, in future episodes, I've already told you. I do want to talk about their daughter, um, Judy Sparrow, how she is or is not involved. Uh, Tony Sparrow, her husband, which was the Warren's son-in-law, how he is or is not involved. And John Zaffis, their nephew, and how he is or is not involved. And explore them in an episode. Off the top of my head, I'm thinking future episodes, and I don't know whether some of them will be together or there'll be a separate episode, but I think, number one, we have to talk about Amityville. I think we have to talk about Annabelle the doll. Um... 
I think we have to talk about the Inville Potorgeist, which I believe was in London. Um, Arnie Johnson, um, who was a gentleman that killed himself and proceeded to haunt um, the Snedeker house that I've already mentioned. I think we need to talk about that. Um, the Union Cemetery, which is popular, it seems like, in a certain level of paranormal circumstances, but maybe Joe Blow off the street has never heard of that. And then the Smurl family, which I have never heard of. That doesn't mean it's not popular. It doesn't mean you don't know about it. But I've never heard of it. But article after article that I read, it was one of their top cases that people like to ask Ed about during lectures or conferences or meet and greets. So I kind of want to find out what that is. And because... I don't know what it entails. That's why I'm saying some of these topics may be put together in one episode, or maybe not. If the Smurl family is not really maybe a full-blown case, I may put it with some other case that I've never heard of and do one episode on both, is what I guess I'm trying to tell you. So, this is the start of us talking about the Warrens and the Warrens cases. Uh, Will I get into some of the movies? Maybe. I don't want to discount that. Because after reading through the cases and looking at evidence, and, and maybe even looking at TV shows or documentaries, I may want to get into some of the movies but as I told you yesterday in episode one I'm a big old chicken I don't like horror movies I can't see myself sitting down and watching The Conjuring I may But as of right now, I'm going to tell you I'm not. (laughs) But will I read about it and compare it to the case? Probably. That's why I'm saying, yeah, maybe. Because I may read a lot about the movies and compare them to the cases, but not actually watch the movies. So, that's your introduction to Ed and Lorraine Warren. I didn't want to introduce any other people because I wanted you to truly think about them, think about how early they started. Um, Like I said, they were married in 1945. And then they started the New England Society for Psychic Research in 1952. It's still going 70 years later. And so I wanted to make sure 
that you could think on what I've said, and if you know it, to maybe re-energize you or spark something that you may want to do your own research. If not, you can sit back and listen to me talk about this series, what I think, what others think, and maybe even what you think. But um, this is episode two, and it is the start of our mini-series on the warrants. I look forward to it. I will talk to you guys soon, and hopefully somewhere down the road, I'll see you.